call in and tell us if you are aroused by flatulence. It's proctophilia. <laughs> there are literally people who like you to fart in their face. That is grounds for a PhD, I think. <laughs> um, Anyone out there? Alrighty, now today I'm with Tanya Coons, our resident sexologist, pleasure therapist and activist, and we're chatting paraphilias. Hey, Tanya. Hey, Maya. Yes, we are. We're talking about standard deviations from the norm. Mm -hmm. Still sexy for some folks, but a little bit more outside of what most folks might do. Yes. Now, before we go any further today, we want to acknowledge that there are so many different layers to paraphilias. <laughs> yes. It's not necessarily something that's super straightforward, so keep an open mind today. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Just uh, try not to yuck other people's yum, and we are going to be covering definitely the things that are not legal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, all right, paraphilias, deviations from sexual norms, Give me a bit more. Like, let's let's dig a little deeper. What does that really mean, Tanya? Okay. Well, think about uh, think about your uni results or, or things that figures statistics that get put into a bell shaped curve. Yep. So you've got a skinny end, and then the sort of majority of folks sit in the middle as the curve goes up, and nice and fat in the middle of what everybody does mainly, and then another skinny end. So a standard deviation from the norm, which is the middle of the bell shaped curve, uh, is is how people measure things in research world and if you're three standard deviations from the norm you're pretty weird according to statistics right so these things used to be called sexual deviations but the, I think the name was changed as the word deviate became pejorative rather than actually a, a factual and statistical description of what people do but what a paraphilia is they're forms of arousal that don't sit within the sexually normative behaviors so that that like I said the skinny end of the bell-shaped curb is where these things hang out right. um, and it's important to understand too not I guess I think paraphilias get some bad presses as being all weird and illegal or dangerous some are but not all of them are as the press or rumors would have us believe uh, sometimes people have a difficulty conceptualizing the difference between things that arise, sexual desires that arise from mental disorders versus things that are just not a little normal, right? And because some paraphilias appear in the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual, which is the sort of Bible of all things psychiatric, I think that that can lead to pathologizing of all paraphilias rather than being curious about how this may work for the individual. Yeah, so it's pretty controversial. Right. And then is there much of an overlap between paraphilias and fetishes? Like, what's the difference? <laughs> um, I did a little bit of reading on this, and it really depends on who and what you're reading. Uh, some people say that paraphilias are fetishes that have escalated in ways that have resulted in negative life consequences. And then a kink or a, or a fetish or a paraphilia, all of those can involve the same behaviour. But the role that that behaviour plays and the effects on the person and people around them is dependent on what category it will land in. So I kind of think that a kink is something that can be sexually arousing to a person. A fetish is kind of an acceleration of that where the person needs a specific object or activity or stimulation to become aroused. Uh, and then a paraphilia is where it becomes the behaviour is problematic to the person or uh, people around them. So I think essentially to get in the DSM, 
the problematic means it needs to be something that causes significant stress or impairment to the individual, i.e. affecting their sleep, their health, relationship, work, study, that kind of thing. Does that make sense? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, Tanya, I've read that there are like optional, preferred or like exclusive paraphilias. Could you quickly explain to me what that means? Okay, it's pretty much what I just said. You know, optional is a kind of take it or leave it, so maybe something that you can be aroused by. Preferred is where someone kind of needs that to get get aroused and get their rocks off. And exclusive means that's the only way that they can get sexual gratification or attraction. Uh, so, And I think that that's generally where there's a paraphilia present. So very, very similar to what we were saying before between the differences between kink, fetish and, and paraphilia. It's almost like a traffic light system. <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's the more intensity of the feelings, I guess, and yeah. how they work for people. Um, but what are some of the most common paraphilias? Have you come across any new line of work? Uh, yep, yeah, definitely. Uh, the most common ones are, uh, and the illegal ones are pedophilia. Uh, so we hear about that in the media all the time. That's a sexual focus on children. Exhibitionism, exposing of genitals or sexual acts to strangers. Uh, voyeurism, so observing private activities of unaware victims. So we, that's the peeping toms. The key in that one, yep. Froteurism, touching or rubbing against non-consensual people. Right, so they're the sort of more common ones. There are some less common ones. Uh, the fetishism, so um, being aroused by an inanimate object. There are people who get uh, aroused by feet. Uh, there are people who get aroused. I saw a program once about people who got a one person married the Eiffel Tower. Yes, one we've person, spoken about this. Yeah, yeah, got uh, aroused by carnival rides. So I was like, okay. So that would be uh, fetishism. There's a sexual masochism, so being humiliated or forced to suffer. Uh, and I actually think that that's reasonably common now with the whole BDSM kink that's sort of on the rise in, in, in more normative behaviours. And sexual sadism as well, uh, the humiliation or suffering on people. Uh, and transvestic disorder, which is uh, sexually aroused by cross-dressing. So I think I think it's um, important to name the difference between a paraphilia and a paraphilic disorder. Mm -hmm. right? So if it's made it into the DSM, the disorder is where there is significant personal uh, distress to either yourself or to people around you. But there are lots of um, paraphilia, like a foot fetish, there's there's nothing wrong or illegal about that. Just, that just means, uh, you know, that person's going to get off on feet and uh, they find feet arousing, whereas other people might be like, yeah, no, that's not for me. <laughs> um, and how do paraphilias develop? Ah, also an interesting question, this one. I, there's not a lot of research, so exact causes uh, are not really known, but some people say it's childhood sexual trauma that might play a role, and other people believe that certain objects or situations might become arousing if they've been associated with pleasurable activity. So uh, things that I've read, case studies I've read, are maybe, for example, the first time somebody masturbates, they're lying near the washing, a pile of washing, and they feel the sensation of their mother's nylons. Uh, so they might grow up uh, wanting to wear pantyhose. And so if they're a little, a little boy, that can be... Uh, regarded as a fetish or fetishistic behaviour or cross-dressing. Um, or sometimes things go into our shadow side. And what I mean by that is we're told things either by our family or by the community that are not okay. Again, I, I like to use an example of, because this does happen a lot, and I do see clients with this, um, 
as a little boy, they've wanted to put on a dress and then they've been told, no, you can't do that because society engendered expectations. So that desire to put on the dress gets pushed into the, the, the shadow side of their existence. But shadow things often come up in sexual fantasies or attractions. So it may be that later in life they like to be aroused by getting dressed up in dresses or nylons or or being made to feel sissified or things like that that they've kind of vaguely remembered from very young have gone down into the shadow side. Yeah, uh, right. So, yeah, I, mean, I think it's really the prevalence of paraphilias is quite difficult to ascertain because um, I think they pop up all over the place. People say that they're rare and they are at the small end of the bell-shaped curve, but there's still quite a lot of folks out there that are aroused by very different things. Mm, and I mean, it's interesting you say that for some people it starts when they're so much younger because then I guess the next natural thought is wondering, okay, is that something that sticks with someone like forever? Does it stay with them throughout their life as they yeah. grow up and get into adulthood? Yeah, also a really good question. Um, I was interested because the research showed that paraphilias occurred at much greater frequency in men. So I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I don't know why. Um, but also that the intensity of a paraphilia typically decreases with age, not always. Um, so I, I think it's really interesting because if people have mental health symptoms, they'll often seek some help around the paraphilia. So and a, and a mental health thing that could go with a paraphilia could be depression, anxiety, feelings of guilt or shame, or impaired social relationships because you're worried about your um things that arouse you so often if people are experiencing distress they might find therapy uh, or they go and get some treatment and treatment can involve helping people address the feelings of guilt or shame and helping them if it's illegal to modify their behavior so I have had over time uh, people come to me with pedophilic tendencies and absolutely horrified and not wanting to act on that so we have explored ways that they could use fantasy and not act on things and what they could possibly do for their arousal that does not involve them in any way, shape or form coming into contact with or interacting with children. You know, so that that's and imagine living with that. Imagine mm. if that was something that turned you on and you know that it's not okay and you don't want to cause any harm. You know, I have a lot of compassion for folks. I don't think that we should be shaming people because their behaviours or the things that turn them on are not okay in the general community. We should be trying to help them with that sort of stuff and make it manageable. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show the amount of, uh, the, well, the level really of training that someone like you has to have in your line of work to be able to navigate something like that. It's in by no way a clear line. It isn't. And there are a lot of therapists who won't work with certain types of people. And I think that that's fair too. I, I tend to specialise in the folks that none of the other therapists would like to work with. But even I um, have difficulties with that. With that. I, I don't seek out folks with um, pedophilic behaviours because it can be really difficult to understand and work with, depending on how they're viewing it mm -hmm. as well. So, yeah. Uh, we all have our limits, so I think it's really good for folk to understand who they can work with and how they can work best and then have a, a network of other folks that they can refer out to yeah. for the tricky stuff. Um, something that is interesting that we kind of... We're picking up where we left off, Tanya, um, you know, the distinctions of different paraphilias and what the difference is between a paraphilia and a paraphilic disorder. disorder. Mm. 
Why is it so then that like paraphilias are included in the DSM and why is that distinction really important? Um, I think they're in the DSM because they cause distress. Um, so they might cause um, mental health issues. So either either if you're doing something that's going to harm yourself or somebody else, that's actually considered worthy of being in the DSM. Um, mm-hmm. And also if it's causing you problems with your relationships, your health, your sleep, your work, that sort of thing. So um, if it's if it's mildly, you know, like if it's like, yay, you know, I really love it when people have sexy feet, great. But if it's like I can only arouse to feet and then I find myself hanging around shoe stores being a bit creepy to people <laughs> trying on shoes that might make other people feel uncomfortable, then that's where it reaches the sort of paraphilia thing. Mm-hmm. But most, I think, of the paraphilias that are in the DSM are actually pretty heavy stuff legally that, that's not okay. Things like pedophilia and exhibitionism and voyeurism that are that involve non-consensual activities when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what then are like, remind me, the DSM stands for? Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. That's right. So there are eight of them that are included, eight paraphilias included in that manual? Um, I think it depends. Yeah, it it goes, I've seen eight, I've seen 10, but, uh, yeah. So we mentioned some of them, pedophilia, exhibitionism, voyeurism, sexual sadism, sexual masochism. This is the disordered stuff, right? So this is where we're doing this that's non-consensual. Yeah. If you think of the BDSM kink community, that stuff is very well negotiated and consent is sought and there's before, during and after care. So that's, uh, it's paraphilic behavior, but it is not a paraphilic disorder. So I think this is the thing. When some things land in the DSM, people can then use that and weaponize Mm. other people's fetishes or deviations from the norm, I say with air quotes, because, you know, not everybody's into this stuff. Although um, I had a chat to Sydney Morning Herald, and that's out today, about porn normalizing violence and some of the things that were deviations from the norm are now sort of becoming normalized in younger folks because that's what they're seeing. So I think society uh, and the folks that hold the power in society are often dictating what is normal and what is okay, what is crazy and what is not. Uh, So we also need to be paying attention to that. Yeah. And I mean, if we were to list a couple different types of paraphilias, they are not only varied well, as varied as they are unexpected, but there are also, like, I think a few that maybe people don't realise are so common. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes. Um, well, the top, yeah, top one on the list, because um, our fantastic producer, Amber, went through and looked up all the paraphilias. There's so many, and they're quite fascinating, and mm. we're going to poke at a few just to maybe make your eyeballs open on a Monday morning. Um, but the first one is um, allogania. Allog- what is it? Algogania. Algogania. Gee whiz, I'm going to have, I've been practicing all morning and I just stuffed <laughs> it up. Algogania, which is pain, right? It's a sexual tendency, uh, getting sexual pre- pleasure from phys- physical pain, right? Often involving an erogenous zone. So putting on nipple clamps would be a really great example of that. Squeezing nipples, using a Wartenberg wheel, mm. uh, flogging, flicking, that sort of thing. So it's stuff that a lot of people might engage in in the kink and BDSM community, that's actually considered a paraphilic behaviour. And then there's, you know, ones like being attracted to someone who takes on the characteristics of a vampire, auto-vampirism. <laughs> Drinking one's own blood. I mean, this so, you know, now you can see how far away from the norm that is, Mm-mm. right? Um, as uh, That was, uh, yeah, 
I think there are some people who do do that. They drink their own blood and they get sexually gratified by that. But that's, you know, I would say that's very far and few between. Yeah. But it does have a word, so folk are into it. That's right. And there are, I think, if we had to go super top line off this list, um, we've got (laughs) autozophilia. Seeing one's attraction to seeing oneself as an animal. Which so, I guess extends to like the furries. furry community, yeah. Yes, although there is plushies as well, so people who get very aroused by plushy toys and they can often get big toys and modify those toys so Mm-mm. that they can interact with them. Um, also dacrophilia. Oh, dacrophilia. Being aroused or turned on by tears. So crying people give you the hots. Damn. <laughs> um, and then, okay, something is crazy. Well, maybe not as crazy, but unexpected or that actually has a term is hybristophilia. Hybristophilia. Oh, yeah. Being sexually aroused by a criminal offender. I think that one's really interesting. And Amber had pointed that out too in light of everybody's obsession with serial killers lately. Yeah. But murder podcasts. Yeah, yeah. So do we think that folks that listen to these podcasts are getting secretly turned on by the criminal activity? I wonder if it's on the rise. That is grounds for a PhD, I think. <laughs> um, Anyone out there? But yeah. then, yeah, there's a whole couple others. Tanya, um, telephone scatologia you mentioned. Yeah, that one's um, people who like to make sex calls. Uh, being a sex therapist, m- most sex therapists, we get these calls all the time. I've actually had people ring up from other countries. Oh, no. <laughs> because my phone number's on the internet, so people ring up and start doing strange and wonderful things. So, yes. Um, and then your favourite off this list, I think, is symphorophilia. Uh, yes, symphorophilia. Witnessing or staging disasters such as fires or car accidents. That's a very specific kind of arousal. I would think that this might be something that should be in the DSM because if you're staging these disasters, yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's actually not okay. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Well, there's really, honestly, way too many to list. There's also the paraphilia of oculolintus, which is licking eyeballs. Yeah, oculolintus. If, uh, yeah. Honestly, if, if someone's thought of it, they have, and it is... There it are, is a paraphilia. Yeah, absolutely. I would actually recommend Googling the list of paraphilias because there are some eye-poppingly interesting things on there. There are some darker ones as well, you know, like auto-assassinophilia, like being in a life-threatening situations or um, autoerotic asphyxiation. We, uh, we are familiar with that. Politicians and famous rock stars have come to mm-hmm. grief. Uh, and uh, biastophilia is actually the other word for rape. Right, so non-consensual sex. So these are, you know, they're not okay. Uh, zoophilia is not okay. Necrophilia is not okay. Pedophilia is not okay. Cannibalism, also not okay. Uh, non-consensual exhibitionism and voyeurism and uh, froteurism as well. Yeah. My gosh, the list really goes on. Um, yeah. It is always a bit of a lesson anytime you hear on <laughs> Let's Talk About Sex, Tanya. <laughs> Today was really fun researching, actually. Yeah. I have to say, I did my eyebrows raise quite a few times. I was like, oh, wow, that's a thing. Wowee. Well, it's been a pleasure having you as always. Yes. Oh, hey, there was one more that I wanted to include. Oh, yeah. Call in and tell us if you are aroused by flatulence. It's a proctophilia. <laughs> there are literally people who like you to fart in their face, and um, I'm super interested in this one mm. just to see how it works for folks. Yeah. 0409-945-945 is the number. We'll be back with more Let's Talk About Sex in a fortnight.